Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JJ McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. I've got questions for you. Okay, I am excited by your questions. Do you still need me? Now we're I, 64. I do still need you now that we've managed to scrape our way up to 64 whole episodes. That's not bad, right? Which is a significant Beatles number, obviously. Yeah, I, I don't of course. Know, apart from number nine number nine number nine i'm not sure how many other numbers are specifically beatles specific um but nine and 64 so maybe once we get to whatever nine times 64 is because i'm sure we will reach that episode eventually in 2042 that perhaps then there'll be another one but um yeah well if oh, eight, eight eight of course eight days a week eight days a week and and, and um also if, if we ever manage to record uh 910 episodes then we will have done the one after 909 um, cue drum roll thank you very much <laughs> hey, there you go um right then we're not talking about any of those songs today though instead we're talking about i don't want to spoil the party which is nice uh, or is it what do you think yeah yeah i okay i like it um I'm, I'm gonna go straight off and say i like it i'm not gonna say i love it I'm not going to say it's the, the best thing on the album, although I think it is potentially some of the best vocal work on the album. Certainly, I really do like the um, um, the harmonies on it. Um, but And with that in mind, I have spent probably more time listening to the isolated vocal tracks than I have to the, the actual completed song itself. Because... All right, okay, I'll just say it. I, I, I reckon the instrumentation is superfluous. I don't think many people are listening to this for the music um, and the instrumentation. They're listening because of those vocal harmonies that exist throughout the song. And I'm sure that someone will then say, oh, yeah, but what about George's guitar solo? And I will isolate two words from that question. So what? Okay. Well, it's very unusual to hear you uh, speaking up in defence of uh, harmonies. You're normally not the harmonies guy. Um, I tend to be very, very dismissive of harmonies, as, I'm the as I recall. Guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is easy for you to do because, of course, you actually have a good singing voice. But for those of us who have a terrible singing voice, like myself, uh, having good harmonies is, is quite an achievement. Um, so it's yeah, it's very unusual to hear you you being uh, so fulsome about uh, about a harmonic. Uh, inclusion in one of these songs well i think it, it really helps with this because if you were just to listen to the words i would end up in the oh god john not again uh, or another girl's been mean to you have they well maybe you should do something about that other than just sing and and maybe make yourself a slightly better proposition if indeed you can read that into to what he's saying well he does say it, there is an interview i think where he did say it was it was meant to be one of those personal songs doesn't of course mean that he was at a party and his girlfriend didn't turn up and then he left saying woe is me i think it just means that perhaps he was a bit confused about why people did or didn't like him at, at the time but i think the the way it's put together and the way the harmonies are, are affected really just helps to take some of the edge off the self-pitying <laughs> nonsense i realize i'm undercutting my own my own mm. argument there um, you know, it's, it's the whole element of, and um, you know, about tonight, um, she makes me sad, I still love her. 
Right, okay. So the the words, it's just that usual combination of, of you know, teenage poetry. But it's by far the most power, powerful part of it because of the harmonies. And, and of course, there's, there's, I suppose, harmonies and double tracking throughout most of the song. I suspect on the verses, it's probably double tracking of Lenin's vocal. And then in that section, that middle section where it's Tonight She Makes Me Sad... I don't know about you, but it feels like McCartney's doing the top line and Lennon's I think so. below. Yeah, it, there seems to be a little bit of um, disagreement on this. It doesn't seem mm. to be quite as clear cut as it sometimes is. Um, and I did have a glance at my Complete Beatles recording sessions, um, which seems to agree with you, but that doesn't seem to be as definitive as usually it is. Um, so I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, I, I think McCartney's on top. Misses. Thank you. Thank you. All right, there we go. Here all night. Uh, indeed all week um yeah it, it sounds like it but it which is good because those are um as you know our regular listener will know um sometimes i'm i'm you know perhaps slightly wary of lennon attempting to strain for the the higher notes um and in in some songs cover version some covers of those songs um you know should we say more accomplished singers make it sound less of a stretch so for if it is McCartney doing it then um, that might explain why it sounds as effective to me as it does however if it is Lennon doing um, the top line brilliant cracking John have another go you're you're quite good (laughs) at it when when you really put the effort in yes Uh, yeah I I don't know it's a bit I don't know. It, it's a song that reminds me a lot of uh, Don't Bother Me. Um, it okay. has a very similar kind of um, feel to it in many ways. And I just find it a little bit of a drag. Actually, I mean, you said that the instrumentation is superfluous. Um, something that I do occasionally do prior to these recordings is, is like have a stab at playing it just to try and get a bit more of a feel for that for the song. Um, and for this one, it was kind of interesting because it's not a song that I've ever held in uh, particularly high regard. Uh, it's a very simple song. It won't come as much of a surprise for, uh, to discover. Um, and it, the chords are nothing special. It's, 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 it's a very uh, simple song to play. It, but what kind of stands out on it is the bass. The, it, it's got a nice jaunty little bass line. So uh, I'm going to put aside my usual but Ringo and say this time out, but Paul. Um, he he is um, making a bit of an effort, and it, it I think that's also one of the things that, like you're saying, the harmonies help to undercut the self pitying. But I think that slightly bouncy bassline helps to undercut the self pitying element of it as well, because it gives it a slightly lighter edge, and especially in the hands of Lennon, a line like you know, I think I'll go, I think I'll go out and look for her. Um, that could sound quite sinister. Um, you know, he's 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 not got the best reputation with women, I think it's fair to say. Um and but having that slightly lighter well, both of the harmonies and the, the slightly lighter bass line underneath it undercuts that sort of more sinister aspect to it. And it does just sound like, Oh, I think I'll go find her, not well, she's in trouble now. And and with Lennon that's a very thin line. That that line interests me actually, because every time I listen to it. I'm sure he's going to say, uh, I think I'll go outside and get some air. And and every time, of course, he says, I'll go outside and look for her. And I always think that's a bit of a disappointment, you know, rather than, than you know, come on, John, own up to what's happened. Just go outside, get some air, get yourself together and go do something else instead. 
rather than think I'm going to go outside and look for her. She's not there. She's not coming. You are the writer of this song. If you wanted there to be this happy ending, you would have written that she's going to turn up. You're in charge, John. Don't go and look for it. It just makes you look like more of a pillock. Well, quite. Um, but yeah, it, but it, it, it's, it's interesting to see even that as a bit of development. I mean, you know, we've talked about songs like You Can't Do That, which, you know, have, have a very clear line of misogyny, a very clear line of controlling uh, and, and, you know, problematic attitudes towards women. Having something similar here, but having it not sound that way does kind of represent a bit of progress. And, and it's maybe not a big shift, but it's still a shift, you know, it, it still helps. And, and you know, the fact that there are other elements of the song that, that mitigate against that kind of reading kind of works in its favour as well. So it, it's it's good to see these little kind of incremental progressions. Um, as, as, uh... <laughs> yes, he's, he's really maturing because he no longer wants to slap her around. Well, listen, you got, it's, it's, it's 1960s John Lennon. You, you have to work with what you've got, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's much more of an extension of things like I'll cry instead and, and yes that's that's that's, the, that's you know true. the babies in black comparison not just in terms of the oh woe is me um but also in terms of the the way in which it's vocalized as well because i suppose that would be the other one that people would be people that one of you might be screaming at your your pod playing device saying that's a better vocal um performance than than this one fair enough that's a matter of opinion they're quite similar in the way yeah. that they're done so um yeah it's it, it, it's it, it's interesting and, and i think one of the reasons why it resonates with me i suppose in a way that the the harmonies on things like babies in in black do as well because it's it's so immediate and it's something that when you hear the song for the first time it's something that will hopefully grab someone and make them want to to listen again and to to, to take an interest um and i think that that and it sort of sticks with me every time I, I come back to it i think it is by far the most interesting thing in the song um and really takes away from what uh, mcdonald describes as lennon's confessedly very personal feelings in genre cliche occasionally he comes up with a with a really kind of apt uh, apt phrase doesn't he um, and I'll go with that genre cliche is about right and I'm sure we'll talk about the country element um, of it in a bit but is there anything about the instrumentation that I'm missing not a whole lot like I said I think Paul McCartney is doing really good work on on the bass line and I, I really do like what that contributes it's not a complicated bass line but it's quite bouncy and it's quite sort of fur furball can you describe a bass line as furball i don't know um i suppose i have anyway uh but it's just it's just it's really adding something to the song and contributing a nice um a nice underpinning to the whole thing for the rest i don't really think there's all that much to talk about it's got you, you know, solo. I, I mean sure but it's just it's just George Harrison doing his usual Carl Perkins stuff. I feel like we've talked about that in quite a few songs on this album. Um, and whilst he manages it perfectly competently, and whilst it's a perfectly reasonable guitar solo, I don't think there's all that much to get excited about in isolation, which I suppose is how we're looking at these songs. Uh, but in isolation, it's great. But this is about the third, fourth, fifth time we've had to go, well, here he comes, we're doing a Carl Perkins thing, not least of which on the Carl Perkins cover, you know. So it's like... It's it's fine, but we've we've done this. Ringo's 
perfectly solid. There's, there's not an awful lot to say there. So um, I don't think you're missing a vast amount when it comes to the music, no. Okay, okay, fair enough. I mean, th- there's a point to which part of me wonders whether or not, um, you know, they, they had Ringo in mind for this. Um, and I think I may have, have seen that somewhere as well, you know, because, of course, Ringo will go on and do the wonderful parodic Act Naturally because um, we, we do need to talk about country music um, and it seems to be the kind of country music that they are interested in that that quite jaunty um, you know sort of up-tempo um, kind of country rocker which I don't necessarily think is, is typical of, of what was happening in, in country at the time I don't think but maybe the nature of it and, and what they were trying to do and, you know, when they were recording it is, is sort of indicated by the fact that although they, they did do, I think it was about 19 takes, only five of them were complete from, from which they obviously chose the one uh, that, that got released. So it's not one that they put a whole ton of effort into. It was very much a case of let's get it done and not one that, that gets played live as well. So... Uh, not necessarily one that they have invested a whole lot of after life in, uh, which is a shame because, of course, they play Babies in Black a lot live. And you sort of think that maybe, um, you know, particularly if you're going and doing shows in, in America and in the South, that actually adding something else with a country twang um, might have um, might have been you know, even better for those performances. Although, of course, insert your own reference to the fact that no one was listening anyway. Um, yeah, so... Uh, country, what's your relationship with country music? Not good. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a big country music fan. Um, it's, it's not really my genre, truth be told. It doesn't mean that I dislike all of it. I don't. Um, but the little bits and pieces of it that I do enjoy are, like, really predictable. Like, I have um, a couple of, like, the... Uh, Johnny Cash Americana LPs, uh, uh, you know stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, it's it's all it's all pretty obvious stuff. I, I'm not a super big um, country music fan, um, so that kind of aspect of it doesn't particularly grab me. It's interesting what you're saying actually about the idea that this might have been a better choice than something like Babies in Black, but I think I might slightly push back against that simply on the grounds that um, the Beatles have quite a lot of songs that sound like this they don't have an awful lot of songs that sound like babies in black they don't really do much in the way of waltz so this wouldn't necessarily contribute much uh to in terms of the variety of the set whereas uh babies in black for all its faults uh, of which i believe we have enumerated fairly uh fairly articulately uh we you know it, it is something which is in a different style so if you're going for a lot a broad range to appeal to a wide audience you know, there are other songs, not necessarily direct country songs or songs as directly as country sounding as this, but there's 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 enough which, like I said, like we've talked about I'll Cry Instead, we've talked about Don't Bother Me, like there, there are other songs that sound like this in the back catalogue, so, uh, so that might push it. But in terms of my own relationship to country music, yeah. It's fine, but it's it's not my it's not my bag, Daddy. What about yourself? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because it's such a hugely diverse genre. And yet it's also a genre that most people think sounds exactly the same, which is quite interesting. And, you know, it has huge um, sales, particularly in America. And 
um, you know, dear listener, if you've been with us for a while, please let me know if I've said this before. But um, I can remember um, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, I think it may have been the first COVID trip we made out to the in-laws in New Mexico. And um, as I was approaching my 50th birthday at the time, the father-in-law had the uh, a copy of the um, is it the AARP uh, magazine, but whatever the um, American Association for Retired People, 50 counts, uh, just like Saga does in the UK. Um, and, and there was, you know, sort of various interviews with people in there. And I'm pretty sure I read in there Ringo Starr saying how much he loved country music and all oh, Liverpool is the country capital, capital of, of the UK. I just thought, oh, is it? Okay. So, you know, the implication there, I guess, would be that uh, at least he would have been exposed to a lot of this music when he was younger. Um, but we, I think growing up, probably my main exposure to country music would have been the likes of, now let's unpack this for American listeners. Um, I'm pretty sure, um, let's see, would it have been Eddie Large from uh, 70s UK... <laughs> Saturday night comedy duo, yeah, um, large. large doing impressions of, of Dolly Parton, where they 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 riffed on on a particular feature that she had, as though that was the most sophisticated piece of humour um, on the planet. So he stuck a um, couple of balloons up his t-shirt, is what you're they, trying they to did. say. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was the seventies, man, weren't it? Actually, probably then went into the eighties, but different times, and um, oh my god, yeah. Um, I mean, all I can do is say, oh, my God, yeah, and, and hope that the listener infers from that that it's a very embarrassing memory. But I think it just sounded very different to the kind of music that that, um, that a lot of us were generally listening to. So, and, and especially, actually, of course, the other exposure at that time, although I only came to it a few years later, was Billy Connolly's um, Country and Western Super Song. Um, you know the uh, I'm sure I've mentioned this before you know the oh my granny was a cripple from Nashville yeah yeah uh, thing um, you know it's all death and misery and some of it is I'm pretty sure I mean Garth Brooks has sold millions of records I'm pretty sure he's probably not all you know death and misery and go get your shotgun kind of Hank Williams style but um you know, but there are examples from from sixty four that that's worth mentioning. I, I haven't mentioned my own experience then. Um, John Wesley Harding and Graham Parsons, and to a lesser extent Johnny Cash. Um, the Johnny Cash one was was useful because um, Dad liked Johnny Cash. So when I started hearing a few things that I didn't think were too bad, it gave us something to 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 talk about. Um, you know, um, in his later years. But um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so very very limited and and i suppose a few others that would be kind of linked to a country adjacent i suppose like linda ronstadt um um heading into sort of john prine territory maybe but i don't know how much there's that sort of folk rock country crossover but um there's there's an element of of storytelling in country music which isn't always apparent in in pop and rock which is uh, something that is you know potentially interesting i think you get some quite vividly drawn characters but um yeah so in in 64 i had a, a little dive into to some of the uh, um the big country hits and actually 60 what you get in 64 in the summer of 64 
is um, Jim Reeves. <clears throat> Jim Reeves, um, yeah, big hit with Distant Drums, remember? It was a, um, yeah, quite an early number one, I believe, uh, in the UK. Died in a plane crash in the summer of 64. Um, and soon after that, he had first of what apparently was many... Um, um, you know, um, what's what's the word? Posthumous, thank you. Um, posthumous hits called "I um, I Guess I'm Crazy," and you know, listening to that, it's it, it it's quite a good song. I guess I'm crazy to love you is the uh, is the the idea. Um, it's a bit more laconic than "Spoil the Party," but I guess the tone is reasonably accurate. But then you know that's when you start sort of seeing connections all over the place. That was produced by Chet Atkins. Now Chet Atkins is a name that has come up. On this podcast before because because of his album Chet Atkins picks the Beatles um, which was a big hit on the country chart so you know you sort of then see that there's there is this circularity and the, that they may have been influenced by something but then they go on and influence something else for example um, Johnny Cash also had a big hit um, on the country charts with understand your man and the reason why why I think this is interesting is because it offers a much different look at the women don't understand me genre that John Lennon has um, has, has, has sort of moved into at this stage because it's more like that's it I've had enough you ain't good enough for me kind of thing so the, the basically the, the the song is about well that's it you know I've had enough of you I'm leaving I'm not even going to turn around and look don't bother coming after me um, so there's much more of that kind of hmm, I'm in charge here element whereas I suppose people would argue that that Lennon is uh, it's that first dive into that new man expressing some kind of vulnerability. Anyway, so just to give you an idea about how the circularity um, feeds into this, um, in that, that Johnny Cash song, um, Understand Your Man, um, actually sounds a lot like Don't Think Twice It's Alright, which I think it's palpably obvious that that, Dylan song was a big influence on on Lennon so you've got a lot going on and I suppose it's a reminder isn't it that people are discovering music at this time that they're broadening their experience of songwriting so I don't necessarily think that people were were definitely saying oh I'll, I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that but perhaps people were coming up with similar ideas at a similar time and using them in in different ways so you get things that are quite reminiscent of each other but I mean it's it's worth it's worth having a listen to um, some of it because you know there there are clear influences um, you know across lots of periods you know the one that sort of springs to mind at the moment is um, from uh, the Waterboys wonderful album Fisherman's Blues a song called Has Anyone Here Seen Hank um, about Hank Williams and, and so that there are influences all over the place. And it's just very interesting, isn't it, that, that this album is the point at which the country music influence seems to be kicking in. You know, have we have we gone through the, the black music influence now and moved on to, to something else, I wonder? I think that's one of the things that is most interesting about it is the way that those discoveries happen and the way that music was discovered in a completely different way. It, it, it's, it's banal to the point of tedium to say, oh, well, you know, the Internet's changed everything. But of course it has. Uh, I mean, growing up, um, the exposure I had to country music was virtually nil. And, and that in a way is quite unusual because I'm from Glasgow and Glasgow is a big, big country music loving city. And for exactly the same reason 
that Liverpool was, which is it's a port city, or at least it was a port city. It's not really anymore. Um, and there's a huge, huge influence for, um, with records being brought in. There's still a Grand Old Opry in uh, in Govan. Um, you know, country music. My uncle was a massive massive country music fan and uh, really really big fan of westerns as well the two were very very closely linked if you found somebody who liked country music chances are they were going to really love westerns as well for for exactly the same reason it's not something sort of beyond my uncle that i really had much exposure to growing up but i mean sort of going back to the 60s i mean it is worth remembering there had been a few country hits both in america and and the uk which had helped to kind of push the barrier you have uh you know tennessee ernie williams and 16 tons you've got uh, big bad john so there's been you know there's been one or two songs which have managed to kind of like get over that hurdle but i think this is definitely the point early 60s where the genre, where it kind of breaks out of the genre ghetto, let's say it that way. Country music has been around for a very long time, and you can argue about when sort of bluegrass became country music and all that kind of development. In the same way that you can, in the way that um, the kind of blues became kind of rock and roll became kind of all that kind of stuff. So there's plenty of conversation to be had there. But generally speaking, you're starting to get songs that are breaking out of that genre ghetto now. Obviously, um, stuff like um, John Lindsay Harding is is contributing to that, and there's just a general feel. That um, that country is becoming less less of that ghetto, and it's happening in parallel with things like uh, uh, black female singing groups coming through, Motown is developing. You know, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles are around at this time. You know, like there's so much which is coming up, and it's kind of breaking through simultaneously. You know, we, we have a tendency to think of uh, we, uh, in a broader cultural sense, not you and I, have a tendency to think of, of music as kind of falling into that division of sort of the 1963 split. Everything that happened before 1963, kind of crap. Everything that happens after 1963, once the Beatles arrive, the walls all fall down. But that's not really accurate. There are so many other genres which are starting to break through in the early 60s, not necessarily always getting to the top of the charts, but which are absolutely kind of getting out of the getting out of the ghetto. And the one or two that do manage to kind of get right up to the top of the charts are, are the ones which then we become sort of more familiar with. Um, so it, it is kind of interesting to see country going through precisely the same process that we've we've had with the with the, the the black female groups with soul with motown and all that kind of stuff um you know yeah the influence of country is stamped all over this album i mean it's 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 kind of the country album so it'd be useful to get because um we will do uh, an episode that kind of summarizes the, the whole album it'd be useful if we we do have um a dear listener who has a little bit more knowledge about country music than us. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be hard to, to find. Of, well, quite, yeah. um, just to kind of give us some sort of sense of, of um, you know, perhaps how the, the, the country music world might look at others coming in and dipping their toes into this sort of thing and then moving on to something else. Um, um, you know, but, but you know, that look at that whole sort of country element. But in addition to that, because the, the thing that occurs to me is that um, it may be that one of the reasons why um, there are these crossovers, these breakthroughs, is because of the, the changing media landscape and the fact that more things are getting played, more influences getting played, might be more disposable income as well for people to spend on, shall we say, enter, loosely say, entertainment products. Um, you know, so there's that that growing sense of, of youth culture, so the, the whole kind of sociological element 
that that you know I'm, I'm sure there's there's plenty of research into and people are looking for different things and perhaps some of the 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 um the traditional forms of entertainment they've been presented with just don't cut the mustard anymore and trying to find those niche elements are you know much more interesting and you get into the whole subculture um aspect there but i do i, I find it particularly interesting because of course the point at which the beatles are starting to show some of these alternative influences the rolling stones are getting ready to release little red rooster da, 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 da. um and and the kinks uh are, are, you know releasing things like um you really got me i don't know why i did that weird intonation there um the kinks releasing you really got me um it, well end of mind so you know, we're starting to see people go in in different areas and then i start sort of wondering did the rolling stones ever really have a kind of like a wacky phase where they did something that was a long i mean apart from their satanic majesty's nonsense a long <laughs> yeah, we don't talk the, about that album yeah no no no, no outside kind of like the bluesy rock uh, element obviously the kinks did i mean the kinks went you know full-on weird particularly in, in the 70s um but the stones just feel like much more of a um well i mean the stones just permanently feel like they never have a sense of humor which i suppose is the the beatles aspect to it one final thing that, that i've got on this um um is i was having a little look at the um the beatles records i brought back from um christmas with the in-laws um which includes um beatles 65 um which would seem to be the most natural fit for this to be on because it's it you know it's got things like um you know babies in black um you know i'll follow the sun mr moonlight honey don't and yeah included but it's not on this capital records save this for the the next release which was the beatles 6 which was released in in june 65 so it wasn't considered up to scratch to being on the same record as as Mr Moonlight um interpret that how you like uh um however when they they do release it it's um uh, it's on side 1 it's the penultimate song of of side 1 um yeah which which feels like um that perhaps that maybe the the traditional people involved in in the the track listing weren't involved there because i kind of think it works here especially because of what we're going to go on and talk about in in episode 65 oh look i'm holding Beatles 65 here now 65 there's another number anyway um so yeah i, th I think more of that in in the next episode so there's a, there's a little bit of a tease for you dear listener lovely uh, i'm going to slightly push back on something that you said um Whoa. yeah uh before i ask you how to score this which is um for all the flaws of the stones uh and and their inability to have much of a sense of humor like the odd moments where they do like dip into country music is actually where i think the humor comes through particularly dead tumbling dice no i was going to say dead flowers on sticky fingers okay. uh and possibly maybe sweet virginia on um exile okay. Um, okay. I, I, I think when they do lapse into country music I'm, I, I'm not actually really a big fan of Tumbling Dice as a song I don't think it's all that great I know it's one of the classics but I, I'm yeah. not really a big fan of it but yeah like particularly Dead Flowers is, is kind of funny and um, 
Okay. Yeah, fair maybe enough. maybe even let it bleed. You could you could stretch a point there. But anyway, so I fair just enough. want to slightly. I don't know one in my knowledge of ABC's The Lexicon of Love. However, I have to admit that perhaps <laughs> perhaps I'm not quite so knowledgeable about um, Mr. Rowling and Mr. Stone. No, that's that that that's fair enough. Those are two gentlemen who I I only have a passing acquaintance with myself. Right. Anyway, let's leave that where we are and give. I don't want to spoil the party score. What do you want to give it? So you know, having said that, um, um, you know, I like it. Um, you're you're going to be surprised because I'm only going to give it a six. But then that's the problem with your scoring system, and and the fact that we have to do this. So I'm just going to have so much lumped into the middle because it. I mean, it's it's perfectly fine. I like it. I think it works on the album. Um, but you know what? There's better stuff to come. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, I'm going to go a bit lower. I think I'm going to give this a four, maybe. Yeah, I think a four. So put my six and your four together. Yeah. 64. Hey! Episode 64. Wow, we're really uh, we're really knocking our numerology out of the park this episode, aren't we? Absolutely. Guy Ritchie would love us. Oh, well, it'd be nice if somebody did. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> let's leave things there. Uh, you can really get a hold of us. Uh, you can contact us by email. Uh, please do, especially if you know anything about country music. Uh, we are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter for some reason at Beatles underscore ology. And we're Beatlesstuffology on Instagram. You can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Uh, please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the classic series of Star Trek episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Uh, next episode, what you're doing. And we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.